Football Fact Check is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. I hope you've been listening. If you have been, you already know this little bit of information, but if you are a newbie, pay attention. NFL ticket prices do drop right before the game starts. Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. I have played this game of looking for tickets weeks in advance, days in advance, and then literally morning of, and this does happen to be true. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And, you know, listen, this doesn't just apply to sporting events. You can get it for music, for theater, and otherwise. But what's nice about it is the app is super easy to use. And proof of that is is that I can use it and have used it successfully. And I'm a dumb person, so surely you'll be able to do it. It's an easy two-tap checkout. Again, any sport pretty much you want. And they, they include a nice little panoramic seat view for wherever your seat's going to be so you can see exactly what it's going to look like once you put your bum down in the stadium or arena or otherwise to watch the show or sporting event you're looking for. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets with Game Time. It's now time for the Football Fact Check. Steelers steal a win, a doozy in Dallas, and LJ lambastes the Bengals. The Shectricity is in the air tonight. Hi and hello, football fans. Welcome to Football Fact Check here on The Athletic. As always, welcome to our Free to the World episode of the week. Of course, we do two every week here for The Athletic. The second one, subscribers only. That reminds me, tell everybody. And if you're not yet a subscriber yourself, now's the time to do it. The holidays are fast approaching. Give your friends and family, and most importantly, perhaps the man or woman in the mirror, the gift of The Athletic, so you can continue to hear all the podcasts and read all the pages of uh, of all the very fine colleagues spread across Sports America here. Speaking of which, Max Olson, soon to be joining us here. We're going to deviate from pro football and talk a little college football in just a bit, but uh, I hope your week 10 of the NFL season preceded, of course, by LSU and Alabama was swell it was uh, it was a great one for me of course and um let's uh, get into it first let's say hello to everybody here back from hawaii there he is i don't know if he's feeling good to be honest with you about football that is because his jets beat the giants is that a good thing it's our pal gabe what's happening uh, hi fella? there it's not because of all the things we've talked about in the past i won't bore people with jets talk early in the show but uh, no we're not rooting for wins these days even beating a crosstown rival doesn't feel good this year. I know. It was so nice that you lost to the Dolphins, and uh, and then you come right back and erase that by defeating a team that you just as easily could have lost to. There's Zuri. How are you? Doing well, man. Yeah, we didn't make any bet in advance of the Rams-Steelers game, and lucky for you, we didn't. And there's Quincy over there. What's the poop with you, Quincy? Uh, the poop is ripe because it's, you know, fresh baby in the world, so... 
I know it. it can be. More importantly, in football terms, Jeff Gr- Jeff Driscoll did the right thing for your Lions. He lost to the Bears, and uh, that improved. That it's getting to be a very uh, a very crowded field there in the top ten. Who's going to get to draft the best players in college football? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's look back at Week Ten and try to make some sense of things for you. Specifically, let's look at the AFC Wild Card picture. I don't think much has changed in the Patriots week off. I still anticipate, and I am still a 10 on the, in uh, in my uh, confidence in saying this, they will be the number one seed. As well as the Ravens are playing, still a couple of tough games, still a stumble or two await them, and uh, I think that the Patriots get back on track against the Eagles this Sunday. But everything else beyond that is now in flux, and the Steelers improbably have worked their way Back into not just the playoff picture, but they're legitimately now they have the sixth seed after the win against the Rams. That preceded by the win over the Colts. That's more significant because it provides the head-to-head victory there. They also have one against the Chargers. So good stuff there. A big swing game coming up here before the regular season rounds out. One of the more prominent games for how the AFC settles come playoff time will be when the Bills pay a visit to the Steelers. I told you last week on Wednesday show that the Browns would vanquish the Bills. They did. That's a favor for everybody in the wild card chase on the AFC side of things. Um, the other big X factor as a team, whether or not it's now too far for them to sneak back into contention, they still have a chance to disrupt the AFC West and in, and indeed the entire AFC side of things. The Los Angeles Chargers, a bad loss to the Raiders. Or listen, you know what? I'm not uh, going to categorize it in any a bad for their playoff hopes, but the Raiders are officially not a bad team, and their path is pretty breezy the rest of the way. As a matter of fact, if the Chargers, and this is not a crazy thing to say, if the Chargers can beat the Chiefs the way the Chiefs are playing, that's plausible. They play them on Sunday in Carson, then they play again later in the season. If the Chargers can take both of those, the Raiders can win the West and not even have to win their upcoming game in Arrowhead. So the Chargers loom large in this, and then the AFC South is a big mess. I told you the Titans would beat the Chiefs. They did. The Chiefs are in trouble. That's going to be a recurring theme for me throughout the year. I told you that a month ago. That uh, that this team was ripe to be had. They were they Patrick Mahomes equals Dan Marino in the mid '80s. He is dynamite. He's transcendent. But this is a deeply flawed roster that cannot cover up the fact that you can just plow them. You can run on them. Derrick Henry did on Sunday. Told you that was going to happen. That is what happened. It seems highly unlikely that the Chiefs are going to uh, be able to withstand that two or three times come January. Now it's in legitimate question whether or not they're even going to make it to January. January and the team that you play if you think about it one year removed from the all-time regular season game in the Coliseum in Los Angeles Chiefs and Rams that great Monday night shootout both those teams might not end up making the playoffs a year removed from when everyone declared this is the future of football the future is now these are the two teams this is the way to do it the Rams do not look good and it calls into question which contract is bad, the Todd Gurley contract or the Jared Goff contract? The Rams are into both of those guys for a ton of loot. And the correct answer, which is the worst contract? Neither, because they're both terrible. The The Rams prove Todd Gurley and uh, Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and, to a lesser degree, Devonta Freeman 
prove <clears throat> that you should just not be paying uh, your running back, high end though he may be, that second contract that pays out somewhere between 30 and you know, 50 mid 50 guaranteed millions to these guys is just not justifiable. Even Zeke Elliott, who's now on the right side has gotten paid. If you watch Sunday night football, he was a non-factor against uh, the Vikings. So it really, I, I wonder what the future of that position is. And, you know, like anything else, if you don't compensate people for doing that the most talented people the problem with and this is not a political screed believe me uh gabe i don't want to go down this rabbit hole oh, here. okay you've got me intrigued <laughs> but i am for you know this is i, I i'm not dipping my toes into policy making it's for very clear yes i understand i like the idea of socialized medicine okay the idea that everyone is a baseline is going to receive health care um, for in uh, and not have um, their bank account destroyed for the rest of their lives is good on face. the The pushback I would say on it is though, is that if that diminishes the amount you pay physicians, that it may end up not attracting the best and brightest in society. Running back, if it starts to be diminishing returns, that if you play that position in the NFL that you aren't going to make a ton of money, then those guys are going to end up playing cornerback or otherwise. Savvy? I, 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 is that fair or is that too far? Well, I, that last little bit, I'm not, I can't got on board with. The whole like switching positions to follow the money kind of part of it. Yeah. But I think I understand that. Or that, safety or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess the idea that there's unintended consequences even to something that on its face looks like a very good idea. The, the type of thing that we all just accept is clearly the right way and our heart is in the right place may actually undo some other things we didn't know about to get away from the, you know, the medicine issue or the healthcare issue. If you think about like the way cable is working now with unbundling, you used to just pay a certain amount of money and get cable and get 200 channels and all the stuff you need. Now you got to subscribe to 14 different, you know, streaming services to see all the stuff you used to want to see. The theory was it's going to be cheaper. You know, if I get this one and I get that, well, now you need nine of them to see all the games and movies and shows that you want to see. It's actually no longer cheaper. So I think that might compared to what you're getting at with well you know what i listen it's a strained analogy or metaphor or simile or whatever it is i'm not smart enough to know the difference even though i went to journalism school i'm ashamed to say i don't have those things uh, clearly defined in my brain but yes that's exactly right perhaps as you spread the wealth as you say yeah maybe devoting that percentage of the money you have under the cap to a position that plainly is not vital to success and has diminishing returns. And part of it, a major part of it, in fact, is the health. In the 21st century, these running backs are getting the junk beaten out of them. And it's not a coincidence that David Johnson sat down all of last year. Or wait, was that two years ago? No, I think it was last year. Uh, Levy and Bell, uh, you know, questionable it feels like at least half the weeks of the 2019 season. Zeke Elliott has defied both of those things. He's gotten paid and he's been in relative good health. But Todd Gurley questioned since at least last December about how 
if the knee is right, what's exactly going on there? Or is it Sean McVay's uh, approach to things? Is he taking him off the field just because that's the way he wants to play it? Either way, you don't need to carry a guy for that dollar amount. And by the way, the same goes for Jared Goff. That money, we said it at the time, I believe, Zuri, yeah. that I did say, why pay Jared Goff at that point in football season when you could basically wait out the whole year. Where's Jared Goff going by season's end? Is he going to drop off and play because he his contract may be in flux, his future is in flux? As it happens, his play is diminished one way or the other. I think it was the first thing you said in the history of the show. So Is that true? On. Yeah. <laughs> it was the most adamant thing point I think you made. Jared Goff, he sits in between Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and, and Big Ben as far as contracts go. So definitely not playing up to that. Um, I got a theory, though. If we started paying kickers quarterback prices, would we raise the play of kickers? Yes. The week? Yes. That's the way it works. Right? I mean, I, I'm listen, believe me. I, <laughs> I was the guy before I went on vacation. You were taking me seriously when I wanted to get rid of kickers. Now we're paying them like Tom Brady. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen. Yeah, that's a different conversation. But yes, it does things. Yeah. Money precedes those who chase it right and so right there would be more soccer players saying you know what i think i'm going to chase a career in big time college football and see if that takes me to the nfl i'll get paid more yeah i just wonder what's going to be with running backs are are, are the most gifted athletes when they're 15 or 16, still going to say, yeah, put me in the backfield there, coach. They're not going to want to do that. They're going to want to go where they're going to get paid, namely corner, maybe safety, maybe wide receiver if they can make that adjustment. Yeah, and also as I guess to tie this in, boy, we're hitting dominoes over here. Now that quarterbacks are successful at, you know, shorter and more mobile quarterbacks are getting more and more money and, and more taken more and more seriously. Maybe some of the guys built like traditional running backs will say, well, just keep the ball in my hands. When I get to Alabama or wherever, I'll keep on playing quarterback. It'll be five, six, one. That's big enough. And maybe actually uh, Zeke's pretty small, but maybe guys like Gurley would have been a quarterback uh, in this world that you're yeah, describing. Yeah, right. Maybe, right. Maybe there's a case to be made for going in that direction. You're picking up what I'm laying down. I just don't know that, uh, um, well, I, I, in fact, the results are in. And by the way, I don't know that you need to or should be using a first-round draft pick on a running back either. Saquon Barkley, for all the talent, part of being an NFL running back or drafting an NFL running back is he's going to sit down for stretches of a lot of seasons. The attrition is just different than what it was 20 or 30 years ago. It's always been a position where there's a, a fair amount of volatility. You're taking shots on every play. If you're handling the ball as a running back, you're by definition pretty much going to end each play by getting hit by a large human being. So it, it, it's not surprising. But as they get bigger and faster and stronger, like we talk about every year, the more injuries that are going to happen. And whether it's the girly specific to the Rams, whether it's the girly contract or the golf one. And we just sat down on my NFL show um, earlier in the week with uh, Maurice Jones Drew, who calls those games for the Rams. And I was talking with him about this, this very subject and whether it's golf or girly is the larger question. Sean McVay, Sean McVay was the boy genius. So much so everybody spent this off season or a lot of teams went out and hired his uh, his replicas. They were, you know, we like McVeigh so much. Anybody who knows him, we want them. And at least in 2019, maybe it's a Super Bowl hangover. Maybe in 2020, the Rams will be back. But it looks like they're tracking towards watching the playoffs from home this January. 
and what they're doing isn't tricking anybody. This is the most glaring um, case of it to date with the, with the 2019 Rams, that they had two weeks to prepare. The Steelers' defense is mighty. There's no doubt about that. And the offensive line is in tatters, and maybe that's the, the simple answer, that they must beef up that offensive line. Another team a lot of people had high hopes for, the Cleveland Browns, despite the win against the Bills, that's been their undoing too. If you It, it remains true. It's not sexy. It's not a lot of fun to talk about. But the 300-pound guys who lean good on other large human beings on the other side of the line of scrimmage tend to, the guys behind them tend to be way, way, way more productive. Jared Goff is not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, and that might be it in 2019. There are very few human beings, and it used to be like five or six, but now I think it's about three, namely Rodgers, like I say, Brady, Russell Wilson, and I think that's it, that if you put them behind a bum offensive line, then that's the end of it. They're they're not going to be productive enough to win 10 or 11 games in a season. And Jared Goff is a human being like that. He does not like large human beings running within close proximity to him when he's trying to throw the ball downfield. And so that's been a little exposed. But what Maurice said about what the Rams are doing, and it's an interesting point, is Jared Goff comes from a spread offense. That's the way he wants to play things. Todd Gurley comes from a Georgia power offense, running out of the eye, traditional sort of, um, you know, one cut and run downhill kind of a thing. Well, those two things are in conflict, too. Who's overseen all this? Sean McVay, it's it's weird because he was celebrated the world over by me and everybody else a year ago. But now it's fair to ask. Is, are, is their operation with Les Snead and Sean McVay going to have diminishing returns too? Because they've invested now. Now they've got to sign Jalen Ramsey. They've already paid Aaron Donald. They've now paid Goff and Gurley. What's left? This is a top-heavy team, and it, they're going to have a hard time fleshing out with it, what, they, what are necessities for them, which are better tackles at least on the offensive line. And really, they need to rebuild that whole thing, and I don't know how they're going to be able to afford it. Well, you were you were calling this one, as Uri said, from the beginning of this show, and it seemed like you're being a buzzkill, but it it's proven to be true. I I don't know if any team outside the Patriots, I hate admitting it, has really figured out how to balance all this in the last twenty years. Like, the cap allows for it, though. Now that the the misnomer is, or or the the thing that's got a lot of momentum is, you can't pay your quarterback thirty million dollars and still have a full roster. They have adjusted the cap over the last legitimately like year or two so that it allows you to do that and reasonably roster build beyond that. But when you start then also throwing in the running back and you're paying a quarterback who is league average, Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl a year ago and he's good. And it also speaks to the overall state of QB and in pro football, but could you rightly make a case that Jared Goff is worth that kind of money in, in, in among his peers is he a top ten quarterback? That you you would never find anybody who would who would attempt to uh, stand up for for golf on that level. So is he worth it if he's if he's median? It does. It certainly doesn't seem like it. I mean, I I wonder though. I mean, I'll get you to something else we're going to be talking about. Like I wonder about all these other guys who we've minted before we know if they can even do the ten things you're supposed to do at that position. You know, we 
it seems like in three weeks we minted Dak Prescott. It, it certainly seemed like after one game, and maybe others had watched more, but we minted Joe Burrow down at LSU. I, I'm not sure all these guys can do all the things that those first three names you said can do. You know, the Russell and, and Rodgers and Brady can do all the things you have to do to be a quarterback with or without a good line. I don't know about anyone else. I can, I, well, of course, and that's almost too high a standard to, to say that that's what we need in order to pay you, but it also is a recurring theme on this show, is that we have achieved QB saturation in the NFL. There is enough talent there waiting in the wings and you can look at it uh, either way that all these injuries, we have a lot of backups playing all of a sudden, but those backups ain't half bad. Your season isn't immediately over because the backup has to go in. And usually that was it. That used to be the end of your season. If your franchise QB went out, well, then good luck winning any games the rest of the way. At least these guys can hang on. They can at least keep you into the game. They at least keep you in the game. Um, but with Bo- with with Burrow and Tua and Lawrence and uh, and Fromm, I suppose, and Herbert and so on on the way, you don't have to reach to pay these quarterbacks, which then makes a very compelling situation emerging down in Big D. If you watch Sunday Night Football, Dak certainly was not the problem there. He had a great game. He's had what I would consider to be a high end season overall, but. You wonder if if they don't make the playoffs and they're my Super Bowl team. You know, I still I stand by them. This uh, the top heavy NFC. Obviously, the Packers look good, but as you saw from the Saints on Sunday, that's remains a fallible team. No one is so flawless that you can rightly say, "Oh, that team's definitely going to the Super Bowl." The Eagles are starting to break out here. I still like this Cowboys team, but let's say they miss the playoffs and they blow out Jason Garrett. I think we live in a in a world now established by Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals in the past year where they might say that, hey, Lincoln Riley wants to take the gig, but he doesn't want Dak. He wants to bring in QBX, and it's contingent on his ability to get this quarterback to play the way he wants to do it or whoever it is, Matt Rule or whatever, whoever you bring in there. I wouldn't be surprised if a head coach makes his – uh, hiring contingent on the ability to blow. The, whoever takes the job up in D.C., I will not be surprised if Dwayne Haskins, now the starter for the rest of the year for the Skins, if he's mediocre to poor, I wouldn't be surprised if a head coach says, oh, I'll, I'll take the gig up there, I'll take things over there, but I don't want Dwayne Haskins. We have to trade him away, and I want to draft a different quarterback. It hardly seems fair to give a, a quarterback less than a season uh, to prove his worth, but I'm glad you brought up the Cowboys. I want to do one little fact check on you here. Uh, you were very high on the Cowboys before the season started. Let's go back and let's play a bite from preseason where you are prognosticating about Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys are your NFC Whoa. champions out of the uh, wild card. Uh, the Eagles will get the number one seed in the conference, mm-hmm. but come playoff time, I would like the Cowboys. I really like this team. I believe in Kellen Moore. I like Dallas a lot. The only thing I don't like about them is their schedule. It's brutal. Um, but I think come December, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be right. What, what do they say? Sharp. Yeah. Sharpened by the steel, by the metal of, uh, of the regular season. Yeah, that was, uh, that, I think that's true. I stand by that. You Did you see the that. Vikings game? Uh, <laughs> sharpened by Sharp- the steel yeah. for sure. <laughs> I mean, I still, uh, you're going champs of the NFC still after what we just saw. Well, what am I going to do back off of it? But I will uh, listen, 
I what I said was mm-hmm. to be a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. I said the Eagles will win the division. Yes, you did. But the Cowboys will go to the Super Bowl. You said that. And by the way, these trends have to break. I keep bringing it up that the last ten Super Bowls, twenty participants have all had a first or second seed. That has to at some point change. It's not going to forever be that the top two seeds get to the Super Bowl. Why not now? It's been 10 years. It's about time for someone to break that trend. I absolutely could see with the way they're built, Zeke has been quiet, or at least was just for one week, but he's defying everything we talk about with running backs. With the high-end, highly paid, highly talented running backs out there, he's the one that's defying that. He is the patron saint going forward. All your hopes and dreams, if you are a first contract running back in the NFL or you're a high-end running back in college hoping to make millions and millions and millions of dollars in pro football – Zeke Elliott is your best case right now. He's the guy you want to succeed because he's the one who could grease the skids. Because outside of that, Levy and Bell, this is a terrible contract. I don't think he'll be on the Jets next year. David Johnson, abject bust since he got that deal. And, you know, uh, we're ticking through them all. Todd Gurley is going to raise red flags for every team going forward. Like, oh, we didn't know about his knee and see this is what can happen. And once you're into running back for that amount of money, if he is hobbled, it's not the same as a quarterback who can modify his play. Cam Newton has a lot of doubters at this moment, but by next spring, he'll have a ton of suitors. He, you know, Cam Newton for his deeds at age 30, there will be no shortage of people willing to pay him. If Todd Gurley hit the open market, if Levy and Bell hits the open market, let's wait and see how many people are falling all over themselves to throw money at, at either one of those guys. So Zeke Elliott better succeed in the short term behind that line and Dak Prescott and the pass catchers that they have and their ability to get to to the QB. This shapes up to me. This this I feel completely validated as long as they can sneak in now. Now it's not a now it's not a given that they're going to get to January. But if they do, I think that they can, they're, they're, they're built to make all sorts of hay. You, you know, you mentioned that the road ahead would be hard. And I think the Cowboys need to be looked at just like the entirety of the AFC that we should just throw out. We, we kind of keep in mind what they've been for eight or nine games. And then we should throw out the record and just count wins and losses for the remaining seven or eight games that all these teams had. Well, that's fine. By and the, surprising who would come out of that. I think well, the that's Cowboys, why, yeah. that's right. That's that's exactly what I'm doing. Chiefs fans, uh, as an example, do not like my recurring um, my announcements that the Chiefs are flawed. They don't like that, and they really don't like when I say, I don't think you guys are a lock to make the playoffs, and you are looking less and less likely to have one of those precious buys. So let's count it up. At the Lions for the Cowboys. By the way, at right at this moment, they are five and four, just like the Eagles, and they've beaten the Eagles. So it's it's unlikely, but I could be wrong that the Eagles are going to win the division. Highly unlikely, but you assume that by this time next week, the Cowboys should beat the Lions in yes, Detroit. They should be favored by more than a field goal. The Patriots probably will beat the Eagles this weekend. I don't know that that's a, a you know, I, I, it seems I, likely, but I, 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 I'm in fact, if Matt Stafford plays in Detroit, I would feel better 
about saying the Lions are going to win than the Eagles are going to beat the Patriots. Two weeks off, Tom Brady's already announced that, have I forgotten about that Super Bowl? Am I over that? No way, man. I'm still, he is so uber competitive, just out of spite, he's going to want to beat the Eagles. But, and they still have that head to head. But let's go through it then. The Cowboys go at Lions, at Patriots. That's a loss for them. Then they host the Bills. At Bears, they host the Rams. Huge one for playoffs if the Rams are still relevant. Then at the Eagles. If they beat the Eagles head-to-head, they're in decent shape to win the division. But, man, that's a that's a really bad path they have left. I mean, I think that's... the thing you're going to have been right about is that their second half was really, really hard. I don't think you're going to be right about that NFC championship part. You know what you sound like? What? An Alabama fan trying to talk yourself into all the things that need to happen to make you a playoff team. Gabe, you're a beauty because that is a professional professional transition into or out of pro football into the world of college football. Let's check on the state of that as the final four in CFB Fast Approaches with Max Olson. Hey, everybody. Let's talk about DoorDash. I, I got to tell you, this is one of the greatest inventions, not just within the span of my lifetime, I dare say since the dawn of man. Imagine that, I mean, within the span of just my life, it was pizza or Chinese food, and now, thanks to DoorDash, the only limitation on what you put in your belly is your own imagination. DoorDash brings it to you. Let me start with the end here by giving you the promo code. It's important. If you want to get $5 off your first order from DoorDash, you do want to use the promo code SHEK, S-H-E-K. And like I say, it's just glorious to be able to order any food you want that's in the area, whether you've had a long day at work or at school or at the office. You get to finish the day by treating yourself to whatever you want to eat. Your favorite restaurants brought to you, your front door with DoorDash. Doesn't make a difference what you're wearing. You don't got to get all dolled up to go to the fancy restaurant and listen to the obnoxious people laughing too loud at the table next to you. No, you get to listen to the people on TV laughing and being obnoxious as you eat the food, listening to them. And nobody has to pack your lunches for you. If you want it at work, you can take it over there. They'll drop it off for you. None of that uh, mixing it up in the office kitchenette with the person putting your food in to the microwave right after somebody just cooked last night's fish in it and stinking up the whole joint. That's not your concern anymore. Why? DoorDash. Again, your favorite restaurants in the city in which you live. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose the food you want. It gets delivered to you, then you eat it. That's the completion of the process. Um, and pizza, that's fine. You can uh, you can get your favorite pizza, but there are 340,000 restaurants now in over 3,000 cities. So I think you're gonna be able to track down what you want. All 50 states and in Canada, your local go-tos or your favorite national restaurants, Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash and remember, Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SHEK, S-H-E-K. Again, $5 off with the DoorDash app from the App Store. You enter the promo code SHEK, S-H-E-K. Again, one last time, promo code SHEK, $5 off from DoorDash. The trick is use the promo code, but don't tell them Dave Damashek sent you because that won't curry any favor whatsoever. But if you want curry, they'll deliver it to you, DoorDash. 
Hey, this is Max Olson from The Athletic. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, Hope you check out my podcast, The Sellouts, with Mitch Sherman. Uh, We talk Nebraska football every week. Obviously, it's been a tough season for them, but uh, you can listen to our breakdown of of, of what's wrong with the Huskers uh, on Mondays and on Fridays, and and, uh, hope you'll check it out. Thanks so much. Let's jump in on the state of college football as that Final Four fast approaches. Here he is, everybody. Max Olson, what's happening, man? Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Certainly, certainly. And uh, coming off the big game, the latest game of the century there, another shootout. And I I don't want to be a curmudgeon right out of the gate with you, Max, but where do you come down? If the game had been 3-2, to two, LSU and Bama, then we would be talking about everybody would be saying, see, that's what two powerhouse football teams do to each other. They negate each other's offense. Instead, 46-41, now it's like, see, the two best powerhouses in the world. You know, the point is, no matter what SEC powerhouses do, they're going to be smiled on the following Monday, <laughs> correct? There's no doubt. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of years covering Big 12 football in Oklahoma and, and what they've done. And for years, it's been hard for that league to shake uh, the perception that they, oh, they just flat out don't play defense in that league. And, and so it's so it's been a lot of fun to watch when LSU has played against Texas or against Florida or against uh, Alabama with this offense of theirs. Um, you, you, you just, everyone is astonished by the offense and you don't even go like, well, I don't know about this. Is this a playoff defense or not? Because it's just, it, it, it's so freaking fun to watch the offense. It's fun to see the SEC finally have to, uh, to, to get that. But of course they don't get the, uh, uh, tar and feathers like the big 12 does for it. Precisely. Well, listen, I'm a, a longtime Big Ten guy, and now I always rooted for an independent team that's now in the ACC. So I'm on the wrong side of that uh, that justice as well. Let's talk about how the Final Four shaping up, though. I'm already angry about it because it seems like, I don't know, a certainty, but it seems like we're moving towards status quo, which is Alabama getting a spot in the Final Four, even though they're not going to win their division. Man, it's nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, it, there's there's certainly like there are some teams that are more deserving to uh, of getting into the playoff if they can win out. Uh, but you just feel like you know Alabama's never been left out of the college football playoff, and even if they should be this year, I, like I can't help but be cynical that uh, that the committee is just going to say, well, you know, at the end of the day, we think they're one of the four best teams, even though they're you know eleven and one, didn't win the SEC, didn't even win their division only one top 25 win over Auburn. Um, it's still Alabama, you know? And, and so these other programs like Oregon and Utah and Oklahoma and Baylor uh, that have a chance to get in, even Minnesota that have a chance to get in there, um, you know, they can't screw up. But at the end of the day, if it's if it's down to them or or Alabama, you, you sort of assume that uh, Alabama's Alabama and, and they uh, they kind of get the benefit of the doubt. And the, t- the, the last time they barely made the playoff, they won the national title. So they I, validated that. So I, I completely- it, it's frustrating, but you can't help but cynically be like, well, things are just going to shake out and they're just going to get another chance. It is. Yeah. But it, but in my book and, and you know, I don't want to have it both ways because I believe in a meritocracy. I always talk about the March Madness tournament is a lot of fun to watch, but it is not the best evaluator of who the best team is to throw sure. these teams that have played 30 something games on the floor, oftentimes against a team they've never seen before who might have a guy get a hot hand shooting the ball for, like I say, 40 minutes, and all of a sudden it erases the preceding three months worth of stuff. Um, but also, 
Alabama also, it feeds on itself that Alabama is Alabama and you can't turn your nose up at them. But also, Nick Saban in Alabama wouldn't have won all those national championships in any other era. The fact that there is a Final Four allows them to get a second bite at the apple all the time. And if you don't win the division, it's it's sort of... There, there are so many examples in sports history, but off the top of my head, there, you know, in in the NFL, as a for instance, college football is potentially superior in structure to any other sport. I know it was not satisfying that people voted on it to to determine who was good. Um, versus bad. But on the other hand, it did set up a week to week. If you lose a game at any point in the season, you lose control of your destiny. And then you have to have things break right to get back into it. And now you're corrupting that by saying Alabama, the NFL uh, as a, uh, I'm jumping all over the place, but (laughs) there was that era when the Seahawks and Niners were probably the two best teams in the NFL. For sure. When one beat the other in the playoffs, there was no case that, yeah, but we know the Niners are still the second best team. Put them in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. They deserve it because they're the best anyway. We know that. Just let them play each other again. This is the way it goes. If you don't win your division, I'm sorry. Your division is tougher than other divisions and other conferences, and maybe you're the second best team in your division and still better than the best team in every other conference. That's the way it broke in this particular, I always I'm old enough mm-hmm. that I remember the Houston Oilers of the late '70s. They were the second best team in the NFL, but they also happened to be in the division with the Steelers. Ergo, they were a wild card. Nobody said, "Yeah, send the Oilers to the Super Bowl. They deserve it." You know, right. that's what Alabama benefits from. Well, it's it's funny though. Um, as as much as we um, kind of get frustrated by this Alabama thing, the thing that we have to step back and appreciate with this season is. We've we spent the entire off season just just kind of writing it off that okay well it'll be Alabama Clemson again in the national title game and that's just how it is nobody has the talent that they have nobody can do it and it it kind of it's kind of like that uh, you know almost like that Cavs Warriors thing where it's just you would go into the season mm-hmm. feeling like that that's what it is you know put it down and and it's so this season like we have to appreciate it has been thrilling to see. That, that that it's not just that LSU's better than those two teams, but Ohio State's better than those two teams, and they and they've been better than those two teams from start to finish. They've mm-hmm. been they've been very dominant, and so uh, it, 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 on the bright side, even if Alabama does get in and doesn't deserve to, it, it is fun that we actually have a four team playoff this year where you feel like any of them could win it, and you and you feel like Alabama and Clemson are kind of the scrappy underdog teams a little bit in this. Now Clemson Clemson's, you know, got such an easy conference that that's why they they're getting knocked in the the rankings right now and they'll they'll go undefeated in that conference and and they'll be in great shape, but it, it is exciting that at least even if Alabama does make it in, I, I, you don't feel like they're even the 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 favorite to win the national title. It, it's going to be a hell of a playoff. Yeah, that's a fair point that uh, that that's the way. And by the way, we have uh, as I was thinking, uh, you know, at halftime against LSU, we now have two pieces of evidence within the last calendar year that Alabama, I mean, Clemson uh, shamed them in the title game, and now LSU shamed them once again, if not for the furious Tua rally there. Alabama, we would be having a different conversation if they don't, if that's a a double-digit loss, even with the rally, if it ends up being a 10-point plus win for LSU, I think people would be today talking more about does Alabama deserve to be in the playoff? They'd be talking more about like, 
Is it over for Alabama now, this little swoon? Because they're not stopping teams and they're not tricking anybody anymore. Let me ask you this, actually. Let's say Georgia, one loss Georgia, mm-hmm. plays LSU undefeated in the uh, in the SEC title game it, and, and Alabama wins out and Georgia beats LSU. It yeah. would be LSU would get one of those. They would get essentially an at-large bid and Georgia would go and Alabama would be left out. Agree? I agree. I think that's, you know, and when you try to sort of work through all the scenarios right now, I, I agree with you that I think Georgia is the one that can probably create the most chaos just mm-hmm. because if they if 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 they're the SEC champ. Now they've got one bad loss to South Carolina, but if you beat LSU and you're the champ in the SEC, you're going in bottom line. And so if you put Georgia in, and and honestly if you assume Clemson and Ohio State uh, are capable of winning out, and, and I, I definitely think they are, then you are going to have such a traffic jam for that number four spot where, you know, potentially you've got LSU, you've got uh, Alabama whining that they should be in. You've got, you know, ver- very likely uh, maybe a 12-1 and Oklahoma that wins the Big 12, you know, if, if they can take care of business, or, or even an undefeated Baylor, who I don't think you can leave out an undefeated uh, Power 5 conference champion. And then, you know, you've got Oregon and Utah, uh, who I think are really, uh, you know, headed toward, um, you know, playing a, a Pac-12 title game where they both are one-loss teams. And, and the winner of that, uh, say it's Oregon, um, you know, that's a that's a team whose only losses in the season opener to a very good Auburn team uh, at the last minute. So that's a really, really good resume on, on the Ducks. I, I, I'm, I'm with you that all those teams lining up for that fourth spot, Georgia's really the one that can mess everything up. I, I that's right. And by the way, you really want to get crazy. Auburn wins the Iron Bowl, and yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Wait, LSU. Now, see, now I'm confusing myself with all the various scenarios. I'm trying to create a path where one loss Georgia beats one loss LSU, to, or LSU. Yeah, uh, now, see, take... I'm getting confused. But yes, Oregon, Utah. See, I would make a case. Again, despite the fact that I claim that I believe in merit, ultimately, and Alabama's in the stronger conference, if you have two Pac-12 heavyweights in Utah and Oregon, both with one loss, whoever yeah. survives that game has a greater claim to it based on what I said. You know, you win your conference versus you didn't win your division. Either Power 5 conference matters or it doesn't. If Baylor's undefeated, how do you rightly keep them out? And the same goes, I know we laugh about Minnesota sure. and maybe make a case they didn't deserve really bad call, whatever, against Penn State. The fact of the matter is they're undefeated. If they're undefeated and they play Ohio State in the in the Big Ten title game, and that's a close game, which it won't be, but let's say it is for the sake of argument. Again, I know that Alabama on a neutral site would whip the Gophers, but based on the structure, the way you have set this up in a Final Four, doesn't Minnesota have a greater claim oh, to yeah. that spot in a vacuum than what Alabama would have? Yeah, you do. And, and Minnesota's um, Minnesota's biggest games are ahead of them. They still have to play Wisconsin, and they still have to play Iowa. So they're right. they're nowhere close to being done building their resume. And if you win those games and go twelve and zero, and and you know find some way to beat Ohio State, I don't know what it would take. But if they found some way, I mean Minnesota's absolutely in. And uh, so yeah, it's that that's that's you know you know there will be some chaos over November with some of these teams losing games they shouldn't or. Or, or or whatever, but um, it's I, 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 it is it is a pretty fun race right now. And and, and look, it's 
I, I, I can't help but be cynical that things are going to break right for Alabama because they kind of always do. But, boy, there are some really deserving teams this year. And, and, and you know, I, I would love to see a situation for all the grief the Pac-12 has taken. How cool would it be if they have a conference title game that, that feels like a play-in game for the playoff? I mean, these are two really good teams um, and, and uh, who've put themselves in a good position here and wouldn't be totally fair to them if, if they're just totally cast aside because, uh, you know, the committee can't, can't quit Bama. Well, now, see, I'm going to go back to the other side of my merit-based argument. I like a four-team playoff. I think it's about perfect because almost any year there's going to be a second team, and and oftentimes there's been that third team that has a case. I always think back to the the most vexing one of all remains for me when it was a two-team championship game, and LSU in Tuscaloosa. Mind, mind, Mind you, that's also true this year. Tuscaloosa, I mean, Bama lost in Tuscaloosa. I don't care if it's the number one team. They lost at home. This case that, well, they're still in play for the for the national title. Like, no, that's not the way it works in college football based on the way it's structured. The yeah. worst one, though, was when it was a two-team uh, championship game and their kicker misses two field goals and they're like, well, the kid missed two field goals. Alabama, we know they're good. Like, <laughs> What are you talking about? That's not the size. Andrew Luck Stanford team has one loss. Brandon Whedon had a weird wonky loss on a, on a Friday night at Missouri. One of those two teams deserves a first bite at the apple before Bama gets a second one. That was the worst one ever. Um, but I, I mean, it, it, it makes me loco uh, arguing this point. Um, but... <laughs> I think that the reason that the four-team playoff, in theory, the way it's playing out, though, the way the SEC gets, you know, gets what appears to be a different level of consideration, it should be ideal because you ha- you basically could have the champions of the four best conferences out of the Power Five each represented, and and that's the end of the story. And if you mm-hmm. aren't filling one of those slots, because the argument is this. The merit argument is this. Is the fifth team, no matter who they are, does any team rightly have the claim if you're fifth or below? Yeah, but we're really the best team, and I think everybody knows that. I think For that sure. is you're getting far enough away from that. You could be the second or third best team and say, you guys aren't seeing us right, but once you get past that, that said, 18 playoff, the five, the five power five champs win – then you go three at larges. I mean, it's got to wind up that way sooner rather than later, yeah. right? How much longer? I mean, I think uh, what you think about there's so much money at stake for for each of these power conferences, and I, that's why I've always joked that the year that the SEC finally gets left out of one of these, then we'll have an 18 playoff the next year because there's just too much at stake in these things, and they always get the benefit of the doubt. But you know, it's. it's fascinating. I've always preferred the eight team and I do think we'll get there someday. And part of that is just because of, of the ease of it of saying, okay, the five, the five power five champs go in and three at larges or, or two at larges and the group of five, the best group of five team or whatever. And, and that would make most years that's going to make for, for a really good um, bracket. But I also, you know, after a weekend like that um, with, with how good Minnesota Penn state was, uh, with with how good you know Oklahoma and Baylor both had some late scares uh, in their games last minute games um, with the with the quality of LSU and Alabama you felt like that game really really mattered um, so, some sometimes on those Saturdays you feel like okay well if it was an 18 playoff 
we know Alabama and LSU are pretty much in no matter what. So the result of this maybe doesn't feel as monumental. Um, I, I generally, I like the 18 playoff, but on a Saturday like that, you kind of understand why, you know, the, the four, at least it does crank up the pressure on everybody. Mm. And, and that makes it, it makes it terrible for the coaches, but it's, it's fun for us as viewers, you know? Um, and, uh, Max, just a couple more things. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. See, you're, I guess you're more glass half full than I am is, uh, is the <laughs> bottom line. Do you agree with me? I, I want to talk about the QBs and how they're tracking towards, um, the next level, but, uh, quickly, I have always said, and I've argued with my friends, uh, about this, maybe, um, the ought six USC at Notre Dame game, but to me, the greatest college football game I've ever seen is uh, the Orange Bowl when Bernie Kosar vanquished uh, Turner Gill. You're too young for that, or do you recall that? Game? I'm a little too young for that, but they remember that in Nebraska for sure. I I hail Tom Osborne for his guts for all of time for that. That he could have gone. I mean, he could have ta- played it safe like Air Parsegian did it uh, in the '60s. Um, with the Irish, but instead he went for it. They were right. getting upset by Bernie, and they went for two. I love that move. I thought it was great. I just wanted to work that in. See, Jarvis Redwine and so on, and I could talk Nebraska football all day, but let's <laughs> talk it. the here and now, um, or I guess six months from now, I guess more accurately. How do you see – we've reached that station in the draft process where a lot of the draft experts are declaring, you know what? I, none of these guys is worth the first overall pick now, these quarterbacks. And I don't know if that kid deserves a first-round grade. Spoiler alert, four or five guys is, uh, are QBs are going to go in the first round. Be, how do I know? Because that happens every single year. Because of Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel and everybody else, right? That's right. 2011, the 2011 draft should be the cautionary tale for all of time, why you don't reach for a quarterback, and yet they do it every year anyway. Amidst all-time greats, Patrick Peterson and Tyron Smith and J.J. Watt and uh, and so on and so forth, who were draft A.J. Green drafted that year. You you sprinkled in the, the names <laughs> Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbard, and uh, and uh, you said the oh Christian Ponder was the other guy um, that people reached for those guys. But yes, how do you think this goes? It, it feels to me like this winds up with Burrow uh, being the top QB taken. Yeah, it's really interesting. Certainly, the you know Chase Young at Ohio State, the defensive end, has has when when he's played has shown everything to suggest, you know, if if you want to take him number one, no one's going to blame you. But in terms of the quarterback deal, um, certainly there was not this kind of hype around Joe Burrow coming into the year, and you know what they've done offensively has been phenomenal to watch. And and I know what a lot of times when people see high scoring college offense. They sort of, um, you know, they sort of wonder how does that stuff translate. What else has done uh, totally translates because the the reason that they look like this is because they hired Joe Brady as their passing game coordinator away from the New Orleans Saints, and he's brought over the passing game stuff that they were doing with Drew Brees and the Saints, and and it's translated really well. It reminds me of Baker Mayfield almost, where hmm. uh, you you watch how high scoring it is. And, and, and it's easy to miss that this guy is doing a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage before and after the play. Really, really smart. Really, really good at reading what's in front of him and making decisions. Uh, and they've really empowered him in that offense. And, and Joe Burrow has been uh, not just the most accurate passer in the country this season, but the most accurate passer in, in FBS history right now, um, just under 80%. So um, he's been phenomenal. Now, 
Tua is still Tua, and and if 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 uh, evaluators want to take Tua ahead of him, uh, I I don't blame him because he's he's a freak. Uh, he's he's a one of a kind guy. Um, you know, certainly this the the injury stuff here, the durability is is going to be a factor in the evaluation. But um, you know, Tua is still a phenomenal talent and. And even in being banged up against LSU, still showed that at times. Um, but it's interesting the quarterback class b- below them, you haven't really seen those guys shine like you thought they would. You know, Justin Herbert had all the hype around him as as the number one pick potentially. Um, he's been he's been he's had good moments this season, but hasn't been just outstanding from start to finish. Uh, certainly with where Oregon's at, he's going to have some big time games uh, to, to kind of improve his position. You know, uh, I would say uh, Jacob Eason at Washington has shown off the big arm, but has also thrown a lot of picks lately. Hasn't really emerged as that guy where you feel like, oh, there's there's some, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the draft kind of potential. Haven't totally seen that yet. And and same with Jordan Love at Utah State, who's who's kind of had a quiet year as they've struggled. So the, I'm sure the focus is on those guys at the, at the very top there and, and curious to see if Herbert can do enough uh, over Oregon's potential playoff run to, uh, to kind of change the narrative there. Well, I mean, uh, that, uh, it's funny because the, these are the concerns that we're going to hear about, but I suspect just based on, like we talk about, relatively recent history, all those things will be forgotten about once you get them to the combine and everything. Oh, Herb, uh, Herbert measured this, and did you, uh, his arm at the combine, and people will forget um, the game-to-game performance uh, in the Pac-12 this year. And by the way, you mentioned Chase Young. Here's our next wrinkle in the draft process. People are going to be saying, "I don't know if you can trust this young man. You know, if he if he uh, his moral code is in question, do you want him on your football team?" Uh, spoiler alert: He also will go in the top two or three picks in the draft, no matter what. I like when people raise these red flags as though they'll oh, still resonate. I mean, this come is spring. what what Chase Young did there to get suspended uh, and, and deal with NCL issues is is the opposite of a red flag to me in some ways. All, all he did yeah. was pay to let his girlfriend come out to watch the Rose Bowl game okay, and, and, and borrowed some money from somebody uh, who he paid back already uh, to, 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 to buy a plane ticket to, to let his girlfriend come out to L.A. So uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of red flags for a guy, um, I, <laughs> I don't think this one's too bad, and I think the punishment uh, you know, far exceeds the crime there. Oh, but don't but don't forget, people in the 21st century love nothing more than oh, the, I know. the opportunity. We've got a whole offseason of, of hand-wringing over, over oh, this issue for sure. Oh, people love to get up on Mount Pius and look down at all the human beings and the mistakes they make. I'm sure that we have <laughs> plenty of time upcoming for that. Do me a favor, would you, Max? Tell Nebraska to get it going. There are certain, there are certain organizations, certain programs that make various sports, uh, various leagues more compelling. Nebraska makes college football better. We got to get this team back on track already. Yeah, it's been a tough year for them. They're they're staring at the possibility of missing a bowl for a third straight season. They've got Wisconsin and Iowa left. Got to win one of those games and and beat Maryland to make one. So it's been a tough year for Scott Frost in year two. But uh, you know, one of these days they'll they'll get that thing turned around. Uh, all right, pal. I really appreciate uh, the time, and uh, hopefully we can connect, uh, I don't know, maybe before this Final Four gets going and we can try to make some sense of it in advance, if not maybe on the backside uh, between the college football season and the draft. Either way, we appreciate the time today. Hey, sounds great, man. Appreciate it. All right, there he is, Max Olson, again from the Sellouts podcast here on The Athletic, and make sure you track down his fine pages also on The Athletic. Again, it's Max Olson. 
And with that, we'll get out of here as well now. Great stuff from Max, uh, a good little breakdown of the tournament um, upcoming in the Final Four and a projection ahead of what uh, everybody will be buzzing about once the Super Bowl wraps up. It's only a couple or a few weeks, and then the Combine gets going in Indy and starts all over again. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday for the here and now. We'll break down what's going to happen in Week 11 with our confidence pool. We'll tell you who's going to win. Should be following the kid, Damashek. Hot. Told you the Titans were going to beat the Chiefs. Told you the Browns were going to beat the Bills. Both of those things came true. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. In the meantime, for Gabe, Zuri, Quincy, and for Max Olson, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>